Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Black woman. Beautiful. Powerful. Resilient female of African descent with skin kissed by the sun. Conversation. A talk, especially an informal one, between two or more people in which news and ideas are exchanged. We love being Black women. Black women are ambitious. Black women are confident. Black women are diligent. We are tenacious. We walk out of our houses put together. We are many shades and personalities of fabulous. But we as Black women don't talk about our dilemmas, current events, and what's going on every day that affects us. So... We created this podcast as a way to laugh together, cry together, and have an open conversation about life as black women. Oh, that's deep. Black Women Conversations. Hey, Nicole. Hey, Janine. How's your week been? It's been, um, I feel like I start this off every week, like, oh my God, it's been so rough. But um, I'm going to start off on a positive note. It has been better than I predicted it to be. My grandmother moved in with us temporarily because she'd been falling at home and her house is not ready. She's been staying at my uncle's house and no one's there during the day. So my mom, of course, went and got her, brought her back to our house and she is now in one of our rooms on the first floor. So that's been somewhat of a transition um, this week. So that's the first thing that happened this week. Um, the second thing was I did finish the COVID-19 vaccine series this week. So I got oh. the second injection and yeah, the second injection was real, right? So I never it, had a reaction. It to, really was. I've never had a reaction to any of the flu shots before, but for this second COVID-19 vaccine, I just need the listeners to understand that you will have some type of symptom. I don't know anybody who has not had some type of symptom after the second injection, um, whether it's like mild fatigue or nausea, vomiting. Um, I personally had a, a fever. I'll say a fever that broke quickly with Tylenol <laughs> and I had fatigue. And I had muscle aches and chills. That only lasts for 24 hours. And then, boom, 48 hours later, I was back to myself. So if you are listening, I know that people have this circulating, like, don't get the COVID-19 vaccine. It is still better than getting COVID-19, okay? So it is. But, Nicole, I must interject here. Because let me let me tell you something. Um, I was actually very fearful for you when I was on the phone with you while you had the 102 degree fever. Um, and here, let me be very clear. There was no point that I thought Nicole was going to die. There was no point where I thought that her life was in danger. And there was no point where I thought that, hey, you know, this is not a good idea. I don't think that she should have taken the vaccine. But let me note, because we are very clear with our, our listeners, right? I talked to Nicole and Nicole is usually very astute and very direct with everything that she says. And 
what gave me pause is I was on the phone with Nicole for about five minutes. And in that five minutes, Nicole talked about 15 different things and did not finish one complete sentence. And, Listen, I- and no, no, no. Hold on one second. And I'm not saying that it's any you know, fault of your own, but that's how I knew that something was wrong. I knew because I was talking to you. And then finally I said, Hey, Nicole, I think that you, you might be experiencing a little bit of delirium. And she was like, this was Nicole's response to me almost exactly. She said, no, I'm okay. I promise. Ask me anything. And she starts running down everything she had done in the day. So as, as her brain was going haywire with this 102 degree fever she still had the wherewithal to get herself together, say, okay, I'm going to run down the day so that I can make Janine feel comfortable. Like that's important. Right. And then she said, okay, she made a decision. She said, I need Tylenol. She got the Tylenol. She took her fever. And when I tell you, I don't even know that the symptoms really lasted 24 hours after that, she called me back maybe two hours later and she was perfectly fine. And she yeah, was, I will say, she, I mean, what were you on your way to do, Nicole, when you called me back? I was going, I had to go and do delivery. So I had a patient that was in labor and I was like, I got to get myself together. Like, this is not happening. I have a patient that's in labor. I was not on call this weekend, but I told that patient I was going to deliver her. And my, my um, partner that was on call lives in Sugarland. And if you are not in Houston, Sugarland is like 30 minutes away. Now in Houston, in the Houston landscape, that's not that far, right? And probably every other city that's like super far, but in Houston, you really can't get anywhere in less than 30 minutes, just to be real. But I didn't want her to have to wake up at whatever, you know, God-given time in the morning to go deliver my patient because a lot of MFMs or high-risk pregnancy OBGYNs do not do deliveries. There's only two of us in our group that do total cares. We back each other up. But if it's my delivery, I wanted to go in and do my delivery of my patient. But um, yeah, I had to get myself together. I mean, liquid Tylenol is amazing, right? A thousand milligrams will get you together if you have a fever. It is great. Not if you have COVID-19, that it will not break Amen. a COVID-19 fever. Amen. So um, yeah. So I had to get it together. So, I mean, it was it was a low, low, right? Like it was low. You kind of felt like, oh, my God, I don't feel good. Right. You were having body aches and all of that. But oh, I felt like trash. I mean, let's but be real. moments. My point of saying this is that moments later, you were back to yourself, right? Like you knew what you needed to do. You took the Tylenol, your fever broke and you were able to be coherent enough to deliver a baby. Like, right. So that's my point. Whereas COVID-19, it lasts for a long time and you might not ever be coherent enough to do anything again, let alone deliver a child. So my point is while you did have really scary symptoms to me, right? I still, it did not sway my opinion about the vaccine at all whatsoever. I still feel like it's it's the better of the two options. People with COVID don't have the opportunity to bounce back in a couple of hours with Tylenol. That's my only point. That is true. And it lasted literally 18 hours. And literally, by the time I went up there that that afternoon, I felt back to myself. So if you're listening, if you're thinking about getting this COVID-19 vaccine, you should get it because it's better than getting COVID. Like, I'm going to say it again. It's better than getting COVID. But and, and then just so the listeners know, me and Johnny never stay on the phone five minutes. And your husband is probably laughing in the background because <laughs> you're like, oh, I stay on the phone in five minutes. No, y'all know it's probably like an hour. <laughs> we don't do anything in five minutes. So it was an hour that I probably went through maybe 10 or 15 things that I had to do that day. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying. 
Okay. I, I'll so, give you that. We don't usually stay on the phone for five minutes, so you might be right. So what did you do this week, Jenny? Um, Actually, so, you know, this is the first, like, back to work fully week. You know, the industry kind of takes off. The, well, I don't want to say the industry because people don't really know what I do. Um, The music industry, it we kind of, you know, have a two week hiatus at the end of the year where, you know, it's kind of a, a split shift, as I put it, where some people are working, some people aren't working. So it's not really like real work. Right. And then at the beginning of the year, everything starts back again. So we are back into busy season and moving and shaking. And while we all thought that we would be back to like live events and things, we just are not. So, you know, we're kind of in like planning stages of like what exactly this year is going to look like. And Fortunately, we have a year under our belt already of what it did look like last year. So we have something to build upon as opposed to how it was last year where we kind of just were like all the blind leading the blind. So I'm kind of excited about that and we're going to be positive, but we're 10 days in and like the memes on the Internet say, I kind of want a refund for 2021. Like I need this year to be better than that. This is this is 20 years from when we became adults. Like, let's think about that for a second. 20 years ago, Nicole, you and I were becoming adults. And while there have been some very good times in this 20 years, I just want like, you know, 9-11, Hurricane Katrina, the D.C. sniper for us in D.C. Like, I mean, we've had numerous hurricanes, Hurricane Sandy. I mean, this we've had so much that I just feel like I want a refund on our adulthood. Can we start over? You. You know what? You're right. This is our 20 year adult anniversary. I mean, honestly, we should probably have a 20 year adult anniversary party. I'm just saying, um, because I didn't even think about it like that until you just said it. But yeah, 2021 in these 10 days have been like, really? Is this a 20? Where did 2020 go? I think it's still here. It is. Maybe it'll reset February 1st. I don't know. I I don't don't know. know. Can we just go go back and pretend like we're 18 again and like just start this over like this last 20 years just be like, okay, never mind. We were were joshing. We don't want that. But I think once Biden gets into the White House, right, I feel like things will start to change. I I feel like we'll have more leadership and more structure because I don't know what this dude is doing, you know, this week. He's calling the troops out and telling them to to bust into the Capitol. So, um, yeah, I don't know what this guy's doing. He's trying to go out with a bang this week, really showing his. So I don't know. I think that once we get new leadership, it'll be better. I really think that I think the new leadership will make these numbers go down. I think. By that six month period, things will start to look better. We'll start to be able to walk outside and not feel like we're going to just die of COVID. Um, mm-hmm. I feel the positive change coming, right? I do too. You know what they say, you know, when you, when, when you about to have a breakthrough, the storm comes, you, you got to go through the storm. And yeah. this is a, this is one hell of a storm though. Like, let's be honest, like this storm started four years ago. Like this isn't a new storm, right? Like we've been going through this storm for four years. So this breakthrough is going to be amazing. I just, I just have to believe that because if it's, because here's the thing, there's only one option, right? Like it can't, we're on the floor. You can't fall off the floor. So there's only one way to go from here and that's up. And that's just how I have to believe. I mean, we have to have hope. Let's go back to, you know, the campaign that our forever president, President Obama ran on. We just have to have hope. Well, we'll have hope and we'll bring in the Saints uh, motto and have faith as well. Absolutely. And keep on going. Absolutely. So um, 
So, Janine, what's on your timeline? Well, I know what's on your timeline, but tell the people about the timeline <laughs> okay. this week. So I'm going to start like our podcast starts. Insurrection, a violent uprising against an authority or government, according to Oxford Dictionary. The act or instant of revolting against civil authority or an established government. And that's according to Merriam-Webster. Those are definitions of insurrection. So what's on my timeline, Nicole? As we know, on January the 6th, 2021, Trump supporters converged on Washington, D.C. for the Save America rally. I kind of feel like it was strategically created to coincide with the joint session of Congress intended to count the electoral votes and to uh, formalize President Joe Biden's victory. The Save the America rally was created with the goal of basically keeping the president in power. And while it was intended to, quote unquote, save America, it literally was undermining our democracy. So let me break down really fast. Um, And I got this from Wikipedia, who cited the New York Times, ABC, um, CNBC and a, a few more sources. But let me break down really fast the the key principles of this. So the cause of this was Trump opposing the election results. That was the cause, plain and simple. They did not agree with the election results because Trump did not agree with the election results. Not that there was any wrongdoing, not that there was any foul play, not that there was anything that gave valid reason to reject the election results, but simply because Trump did not believe in them. The goal of this of this rally was to disrupt or delay the vote count to pressure Congress and Pence to overturn the election, thus allowing Trump to maintain his presidency. The methods that they used were rioting, vandalism, looting, assault, shooting, arson, and even attempted bombing. The results, damage to the U.S. Capitol, as we know, the resignation of numerous elected and appointed officials, There are now efforts to remove Donald Trump from office and they have suspended or revoked all of Donald Trump's social media accounts. This also resulted in numerous casualties for rioters, including the woman who we've seen the video of her being shot and one police officer. There are an unknown number of injuries um, to rioters. They are too many to count, but there have been 56 injuries to armed officers. They say that there have been hundreds of arrests. I cannot verify that information. But when we look on the last four years of this not so subtle propaganda that Trump has been literally feeding to his loyal followers, we know why this happened, right? We're not surprised. It seems that his supporters kind of fell into this downward spiral of delusion after the election, though. Right. So like the last four years, they've been crazy. But this last few months, they just fell into this hole of untruth. It was almost like the election results wiped away every morsel of reality and truth and good sense that they had left. These people felt supported and justified because their fearless leader encouraged them to fight like hell to take back the country. We even saw 
President Trump's henchmen, Rudy Giuliani, refer to this as a trial by combat. And we can't forget that Donald Trump Jr. threatened the opponents saying, we're coming for you. Not to mention all of the white supremacy rhetoric that has been the cornerstone of Trump's entire presidential term. So we know why this happened. These people have been blindly following every word uttered from the fingers of Donald Trump, and they felt justified in their mission to, quote, take back the White House by, as the president put, by any means necessary. And the reason why they felt justified is because the president told them so. So my question isn't why. I'm not surprised. It was not even remotely surprising to me, right? Um, I kind of prepared in my mind that something was going to be crazy. So it's, you know, it's not something that even shocked me in the, in the least. The question, though, to me is how did this happen? How is it that domestic terrorists were able to carry out an a insurrection and breach federal buildings? How is it that they were able to storm the Capitol? How is it that outside of the Capitol building, they were able to erect a gallow? How is it that they were able to place pipe bombs at both the RNC and the DNC? How is it that they were allowed to vandalize federal property? And how is it that the Capitol Police, which is a federal police agency, was allowed to be overrun? Well, according to the Washington Post, the Capitol Police did not make any early request to the Metropolitan Police Department, which is the police department in the D.C. area, or the D.C. National Guard for help. And Mayor Bowser, who is the mayor of Washington, D.C., confirmed that. The Capitol Police also did not set up a multi-agency command center to coordinate response to any potential violence. There was also a lack of adequate security perimeter, so the Capitol Police were quickly overwhelmed and overrun. And this is something that I would like to point out. And I'm going to give 100% credit, even though that's not where I got all of the information from. I'm going to give 100% credit for bringing this to my attention to Rachel Maddow, who is my friend in my head. She brought this up on one of her shows when she showed a video of Governor Hogan, who we've discussed many times on this show, who is the governor of Maryland. She brought this to my attention because while I had seen the video previous to her broadcast, it didn't really dawn on me the severity of what Governor Hogan was saying at the time. So here's what happened. Governor Hogan gives an impromptu press conference shortly after the insurrection took place. And he said that he received a call from House Majority Leader Steny Hoyer. And the call was letting him know that he and Pelosi and Schumer were all in a bunker and that the Capitol Police had been overwhelmed and overrun and that there appeared to be no federal law enforcement presence and that they were pleading for assistance to Governor Hogan to say, we need the help of your police and the National Guard, meaning the Maryland State Police and the Maryland National Guard. He went on to state that there, while there were, you know, specially trained riot police available and they had their troops available, they were repeatedly denied the authorization to deploy their troops. They were waiting for approval from the Secretary of Defense. Now, here's the thing. 
They were awaiting approval because the chain of command means that if you are going to deploy troops, especially from another state, you have to get the permission of the Secretary of Defense. Well, here's the problem. The Secretary of Defense was appeared to be MIA, nowhere to be found. They said, uh, Governor Hogan said, they no one ever actually spoke to the Secretary of Defense, which means that in a time where the Capitol building was being overrun, the Secretary of Defense was not available. No one else in the administration was available or accepting calls or returning calls. So basically, these two who obviously work together because they're both representation of of the government of Maryland were trying to get help from the neighboring state, which we're talking a few minutes away. Governor Hogan is saying, I have the people available. I just need the permission to deploy them. He said that it was about an hour and a half later where he received permission, but he didn't receive permission from the secretary of defense. He received permission from the secretary of the army, which while that's not the technical proper chain of command, it worked so that they could get some assistance. So again, my question is, how does something like this happen? Why were they denied authorization to help? And why wasn't there a better plan put in place prior to the rally as it is normally When there's any rally or convergence in the D.C. federal area. Yeah, Janine, to me, it's just so convenient that nobody was available and that nobody knew that they needed more help. And um, I also think that it's uh, telling to not have... um, guards prepared. You know, as I'm getting text messages at work about this, I mean, I literally, I was like, is the world coming to an end? I was getting so many messages. I'm like, I'm trying to see patients right now. And my phone keeps ringing. My phone keeps blowing up. So I'm looking at these text messages from friends and doctors that I have in in New York and Connecticut and Chicago telling me, have you seen the news? Well, of course I haven't. I'm sitting here at work. And so I'm going to CNN.com and MSNBC.com and I'm looking at this. And then I'm like, okay, what's Fox News going to say about this, right? So I go to FoxNews.com and they're even upset that all of this stuff is going on. And meanwhile, there's no response from the president. You know, Pence was pissed and he gave a response. But it took Donald Trump a little while to to say anything. Um, it's almost like, hey, he knew this was going to happen. He knew that his troops that he told to stand down and stand by, um, he knew they were coming and he knew they were going to overtake the Capitol. And when he saw that they were doing it, it's almost like he had no response. Like, ah, attaboy. I don't know. I, to me, it was just... Uh, too convenient for the president not to say anything, for people, other people on the chain of command not to really do anything um, and just sort of sit there and wait for hours as these people um, try to overtake the Capitol. I don't know. You know, that's not our expertise, Jenny. But you know whose expertise it is? Who is it, Nicole? Our special guest. So for our listeners, let me introduce this phenomenal woman. So we have... Ms. Audrey McNeil as our special guest today. She is a law enforcement veteran who served eight years with the D.C. Police Department and 20 years as special agent with the FBI. She is the first African-American 
crisis and hostage negotiator for the D.C. metropolitan area. Needless to say, uh, once she made lead team negotiator, she was the first African-American woman to do that as well. She was recruited to the FBI in 98 and moved up the ranks, becoming supervising special agent. She also oversaw field operations of transnational syndicate crime investigations, managing national security, particularly the Foreign Terrorist Tracking Task Force. Not only did she do all that, but Ms. McNeil also did media consultations for films. Um, one interesting fact is that she consulted for the movie Light It Up, which we pretty much remember. Um, it was starring Vanessa Williams and Usher. The director was so impressed with this woman that the main character was renamed to Audrey McDonald after her. Y'all, we are so excited to have this amazing woman on our platform to help us make sense of the world. Miss McNeil, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you both. Just listening to the uh, dialogue and, and uh, that question about how did this happen? Just like everyone else, it started four years ago or a little more. And uh, there are forces that supported this, as we all know. And um, I, I want to say one of the most powerful forces that was used here was right-wing media. And I think a lot of us are not always cognizant of the fact that, um, you know, a lot of radio stations have been brought out by right, right-wing leaning companies. And with that, the small, sometimes small towns, that's all they hear, right-wing propaganda. And if you're not there where there's no balance with reporting media, I mean, news rather, then you have this, this bully pulpit where you can espouse all these things in support of someone like Trump. And I, I think that's part of it. Is the, I'm sure there are so many facets of it, but one that you can attribute to is that right-wing media, radio, as well as TV. That's so true. I mean, when we think about it, you, we always think, how do people really live in this silo where they don't have the truth? It's hard to fathom how one can live in a silo of, of incorrect information. It really is, mm-hmm. especially in 2021. At this point in life, you have to be willfully ignorant. You have access If you have Internet access or if you have, you know, cellular access, you have access to any information that is out there. Right. But you have to also think that you have access to both positive information and the truth and the same with negative information and and falsehood. So, you know, while I wonder how these kinds of things happen, I'm I'm. Still not at all surprised as, as you, you know, as you mentioned, we have, we do have people that all, the only thing that they see is that right wing, you know, manipulative propaganda, unfortunately. But, but, but Audrey, do you really think that the White House and their leadership did not know that that was going to happen? I mean, Rush Limbaugh and Donald Trump are like, cool, basically. I mean, <laughs> Uh, the White House is, is right winged right now. Like Donald Trump to me is like far extreme. And being from a really small town in Louisiana, I can get how people can hear the same propaganda over and over. And if you're not someone that 
is educated enough to hear both sides and do your own um, research, you can very much get sucked into, hey, this whole right wing side, especially if you think all of a sudden you're threatened by the the achievements of black and brown people and you are one of the good old boys. I could see that. But do you not think that administration knew that there was going to be a riot there, seeing as how Trump is basically in bed with the right wing? Absolutely. And let me go back. So I mentioned about right wing. So what's the best way to transform people, just individuals, by their mind? So getting out that message. But asking, answering your question, yes, I think they knew. I worked for the Special Operations Division before I left Metropolitan, the Metropolitan Police Department. And what that meant is I was on a, the emergency response team. We often coordinated with Secret Service, Capitol Police, especially in events, huge events like this. Uh, there was much planning that went on. So, yes, I'm very much aware or and of the mindset that there's, there was a, there were people who were in the know who had to, to have had such a poor show of force by the police department, lack of preparation, no command post. Even when you have, you know, every year, January 20th, there's the, um, the abortion rights march. Thousands of people show, and there's always command posts. There's coordination with all those police departments, federal, local. And uh, so to me, I, I that was the one thing when I was watching it with my husband. Well, he's also former uh, a former police officer. Where, where are the police? How can this possibly happen where they could be so unprepared? And that led us both to the conclusion that, yes, People knew this was deliberate. I'm absolutely convinced of that, and I stand by it, mm-hmm. that it was deliberate on account of those who should have been, they absolutely would have to be held accountable because there's no way you can't even get close enough to to the Capitol without, <laughs> without a metal detector noticing your keys. Right. And, so, and I, I take you back to something that's very interesting. I was reading where, uh, you all remember about seven years ago, a young woman, Miriam Carey, there was a police officer trying to put a, bro- a barricade. She makes a three point turn and she hits him. And, you know, everything went sideways after that, where this woman was shot multiple yeah. times with her one year old child in the car. So how is it that this individual was it? You get what I'm saying. So just comparing, how could you not have prepared? And and I think that it's also telling that um, the Capitol Police chief resigned. Right. Like I always I always wondered, like, you know, how how who was who was the person that needs to be held responsible? Right. Like, was it a breakdown on the Capitol Police? Was it a breakdown on on um, the Metropolitan Police? Was it a breakdown in, in the you know government officials prior to getting to the police? I, who was it? But it was very telling when the Capitol Police chief resigned. And it was also very telling when you see, I actually was unaware of the details of the relations between the Capitol Police and the Metropolitan Police. But so that everyone can know, the Metropolitan Police is the D.C. police, right? They control the D.C. streets. However, on federal property, they do not have the authorization to control that. That is the Capitol Police, right? The only time that, and correct me, 
Audrey, if I'm incorrect, the only time that the Metropolitan Police are able to patrol federal property is if they are requested by federal officials. Is that correct? That's correct. So my my thought process was you have this entire police force in your city, a very unique position to be in because it's the capital. So it's basically like having two police forces at your disposal, right? You have this entire police force at your disposal with the mayor of the city saying our police is ready. They're here. They also have the D.C. National Guard. They're ready. They're here. They're in your city. For you to utilize in your neighboring state in Maryland, they have their riot police ready. They have their National Guard ready. And neither one of them was given the authorization to assist an overrun police department. I don't understand. Let me be very clear why I don't understand. I don't understand because I've lived in this city long enough to know that if there's any convergence or any even thought of convergence. So if people take out a permit to have a rally, which there are plenty of permits and things that you have to go through to have any rally on a federal property, right? So if they take out a permit based on what that permit says, that the first thing, one of the first things that they do is determine how many police officers and or law enforcement of whatever kind needs to be present. Having done events on federal property, One of your largest bills is always the security. And it is baffling to me. It is baffling to me. They knew it was coming. It wasn't it wasn't not public knowledge. So they knew it was coming, yet they still made the decision to not prepare. How does that happen? But not only that, um, the fact that you had intelligence, that intelligence came from various places, as it always does. And they're saying the same thing, get prepared. This is going to be all, you know, all those type of things. So apparently that, that was ignored. And remember the uh, police departments in DC, speaking about DC police or capital, they're very, very familiar with how to deal with situations, mass protests, or in this case, mass and insurrection. Yes, it's a new, but it's the same dynamics where you have the intelligence, you get together with commanders, you hold briefings, you strategize on how you're going to handle this. And it appears that none of that was done. So it wasn't just that the, the, the buck should stop and not to be self-righteous or anything like that, but the buck stops with the Capitol Police because that is their, the Capitol and those federal buildings are under their purview. Something about that doesn't sit right with me. Right. Because what police chief is going to want to take that this ridicule? You know, I I mean, I feel like he must have been ordered not to get help, though. I mean, because nobody is going to, as a police chief, let all of these people insurge upon the Capitol like that. I mean, it's just very hard for me to believe. I, I understand that it's his responsibility to ask for more help. Out of all these other times he's asked for more help, um, but this time in particular, I was waiting. I was like, oh, the tear gas is going to come and they're going to push these people all the way back. This is going to be awful. It's going to look like we're in like a war zone. And it just didn't have, it looked like we were in a war zone because the people were taking over, but it didn't look like we were in a war zone because of force used to get people back. 
which is unusual. So to me, it was almost like, why is the Capitol Police chief not doing something? Almost as if, could he have been told not to do something? We'll never know if he was. That'll come out perhaps later. For one thing, too, we uh, may want to be mindful of is that Remember, the police were coddled by Trump and saying, you know, he's protecting law enforcement. So particularly regarding the protests from the summer, how they painted, the, how it was painted by Trump and crony with the uh, racial injustice protests and saying police were being harmed and hurt. And, and, and I'm saying this from, it, from conversations where a lot of police officers took that to heart that the president had their best interests. He's our guy. He's a uh, cop president, so to speak. So I say that to say that there were police officers there, although they were in uniform, but sometimes people blur the lines on their personal philosophies. And that may be something that also we just need to be mindful of. That's a that's a very good point. And I think that it was kind of um, displayed on Front Street when you saw some of the Capitol Police taking selfies with the rioters. And yeah. it, I mean, and, you know, while it is disheartening, especially given the makeup of this city, um, mm-hmm. it is it it is a sad reality. Right. Um, but even sadder is something else that you brought up. The the stark contrast between the police and military response mm-hmm. during the insurrection and the police and military response during the peaceful Black Lives Matter protests over the summer. Um, I just, I just, you know, I remember, and this is something that we posted on our social media. I remember there being a wall of armed troops on the steps mm-hmm. of the Capitol for the Black Lives Matter protest which were completely peaceful you know we have to remember when police were pretty much let loose on protesters so that donald trump could make his you know famous bible photo op it it just i mean it's almost sickening how you know they over policed the black lives matter protest and deliberately under policed this I mean, basically this treasonous riot, it's baffling to me how this happens. You know, I kind of think that while we have been focusing um, on the the blatant failure of the um, armed forces, I think that we have to, you know, we have to put blame where it should be. And the administration failed us. Our current administration just failed us. And I mean, not for nothing, but the insider of the insurrection himself is supposed to be our commander in chief, um, which is which is disturbing. I mean, when I read the what seemed like condolence messages from leaders of other countries, it just it just reinforced my thought of just how dangerous our our current president is for our country. I mean, I'm just glad that we only have a few days with, left with him. And we just hope that they're able to minimize the damage that he can do in the in the next few weeks. Yes, he certainly does need to be contained, that's for sure. At least also social media uh, has stepped up and, and uh, denied him the use of their platforms to generate more information. That doesn't stop others, though. 
but story. at least it's not coming from the commander in chief. I have to tell you, I'm really not surprised. Again, uh, I try to balance my um, presence on social media, what have you, by listening to right wing and left wing, and because you you got to have a balance there. And so, I mean, it's so it wasn't surprising that that this would be the culmination of Make America Great or Make America Great Civil War uh, T-shirts that were seen uh, worn by uh, several of the writers down there. But I, it, it's just a constant beating down people with information where things are wrong. And then what's surprising, too, is when you listen to right wing, every last one of these individuals is a patriot. Supposedly. Patriot. Right. So the, I, I find that almost comical. But mm-hmm. the, everything they say is wrapped up in that kind of package. And whether it's gun rights, whether it's the election, everything is being wrapped up in a patriot. Even more comical to me is the whole civil war, which was nothing but an insur- which was an insurrection against the United States. Mm-hmm. But these guys are patriots. So I, I am I'm I'm not surprised by it. I think as an African American, it, it should not be shocking. This has been the history of our country since its inception, violence. And if it goes unchecked, and this is kinda of like a reminder, what this is what happens when it goes unchecked when your commander in chief is not held accountable and those sycophants are there to just keep propping him up. What else would we expect? You know, it, it, that's the next road down the line. I mean, you know, it's there in our faces. So we of all people know the history since we've been those who suffer from it, who suffer greatly from uh, racial injustice and all other aspects where we've seen violence in our lifetime. We're absolutely right. Um, that l- listening to you talk about that and listening to you talk about, you know, riots and versus protests and um, the history of the country. I mean, it's, it's definitely, um, it's definitely enlightening. And I think as, as African American women, we know it, we see it, but our other counterparts don't, you know, they, they still don't. Some of them do, but a lot of them don't, which is why this let's talk through it. It's going to be amazing today. <laughs> So usually at this point, Ms. McNeil, we will go through different scenarios and emails that have been uh, sent to us by our listeners. So we invite you to talk through these situations with us. So, um, Johnny, you want to go first? You want me to go first? You can go first. My letter says, ladies, help. I think Trump is ruining my marriage. My husband is a Trump supporter. At least he was before the incident at the Capitol. I'm a Democrat, but knew he was Republican before we married. We talk about politics sometimes, but most often we avoid the conversation. We've been married two years now. And over time, I can see my husband's heart changing as he has had to grow because of the things that we've endured this past year, particularly with the Black Lives Matter movement. I believe he finally realizes he's married to a black woman because he says things to let me know that these acts of racism are unacceptable. He's no longer silent on these types of issues. However, I was extremely upset by the attacks on the Capitol by the Trump supporters that I came home from work crying. When talking with my husband, he said he didn't understand the reason for the supporters protesting, but that it's the same as the Black Lives Matter protests. I was pissed. I told him those people were terrorists. 
but he adamantly disagreed. Ladies, am I going crazy? Is this the same? Is it just a, a right to protest or is this situation considered an act of terrorism? Please explain why or why not and how can I best communicate this with my husband? Any advice is appreciated. Okay, so I'm going to start this, right? I would assume based on the letter that she is African-American and that her husband is not African-American. She is definitely African-American, right? So the one thing that stood out to me was that her husband believes that the protest for Black Lives Matter over the summer is the same as the riot that happened at the Capitol. So let me just say why they're not the same. The riot that happened at the Capitol, as I mentioned in our what's on our timeline, the riot, the intention of the riot was to overturn the results of the election. The intention of the riot was based in the idea that our democracy had somehow failed and the falsehood that they had the power to overturn the results and therefore leave Trump as president of the United States. So this entire riot was based in falsehood. It was not the uh, a protest for equal rights. It was not a protest for equal pay. It was not a protest for for anything that was going to help the country or society move into a positive direction. The Black Lives Matter protest over the summer was for equal rights for the people who built this country. We cannot sit here and pretend that Black people at any point in the history of this country have had equal rights to our Caucasian counterparts point blank period. We have been here since the beginning. We built this country with our blood, sweat and tears. And the truth of the matter that is in 2021, we still do not have equal rights, that we literally are in a place where we have a better situation than we had when we first started. We're not enslaved. We're not separate but equal anymore. We now have a full sense of equality. But the truth of the matter is we are still not equal. And that is the basis of the Black Lives Matter movement. One movement was based on the fact that one man did not get his way. And the other movement is based on the fact that an entire subset of people or entire group of people that built this country still do not have equal rights. I can't even understand that. They're two completely different things. Now, here's the thing. I understand that within your marriage, you feel like your husband has come a long way, right? But I feel like this is this is a problem because there's no way that I can fathom that your husband is married to you as a black woman and can't mm -hmm. understand th the need for a Black Lives Matter protest. Or the fact that he thinks that a Black Lives Matter protest is equally as important as a protest to keep Donald Trump in office, someone who's literally single handedly desecrated our democracy in four years. I just can't understand. I hope that I've been able to help you ex maybe explain to your husband the difference between the two. But I can't understand. Maybe, Nicole, Audrey, you can help further. I'll let Audrey go first. 
I am, I would, based on something she said as well, she said he was coming around. I hope I didn't miss that. So she said he was coming around trying to understand. I think one thing that, uh, if he's coming around, that means he's, he may be willing to, to learn some history. Uh, there's lots of chock full of documentaries on our, you know, what African Americans have done in this country. There are museums. Uh, just a plethora of information that sounds to me that you will want to take him to school. Anytime you find someone who wants to justify, as Janine said, uh, a bunch of falsehoods, a bunch of lies, um, I, I think it's time for truth to, to hit the truth to be in, injected into this individual by, like I said, documentaries, museums, uh, conversations in your, with him, with uh, family members, if you have that kind of open dialogue with with your family, but he definitely needs to be uh, apprised of that he's brought a lot of uh, BS from the Trump administration. I uh, I completely agree. Um, I I have several friends that are in interracial marriages, and I think that I only have a few that are married to Trump supporters, though. Most people that are in interracial marriages are also at least the same political affiliation. They understand um, or at least they try to understand the struggles of black people. And so um, a lot of my friends aren't trying to explain to their mates why Trump uh, is not for black people, to be just direct. Um, this friend of the podcast he, your husband doesn't get it. And he might have been, I'm not saying he's racist, but he obviously does not understand the struggles of being African American in this country. I think it's good that he's tried to understand. I think it's good that um, he has now seen your discrimination and he's had to probably take some discrimination as someone married to an African American woman. But since he doesn't get it. I definitely agree that this is an act of terrorism. Um, I know that when you say that terrorism, that's like an extreme word and people don't want to go there, especially to talk about people that probably look like people they grew up with, right? Um, if they are from backwoods, Louisiana, these probably look like their neighbors or could be their cousins. So this is like probably something that's hitting home for him. He probably has people in his family that are talking about this. He may have had people in his family that wish they could have been there or maybe even were there. So to call his family members, um, potentially family members, you know, terrorists may be something and maybe why he's so hesitant um, to do so. One thing that I remember going through social media may have been on um, on uh, D.L. Hughley's uh, page was a clip of a woman who had just gotten maced. Right. She gotten mm -hmm. maced and the the uh, the journalist was asking her, you know, so what happened? And she said, I got maced. I got maced. And the journalist said, well, but why? I, I, I was just protesting. She said, well, why are you protesting? It's a revolution. It's a revolution. And I'm thinking these people really do think that this is a revolution and they need to defend the country from Biden taking over. I mean, it just blew my mind. But for this friend of the podcast, she has to realize that her husband 
may have family members or may have been one of those people at one time. Um, honestly, I feel sorry for sis for even having to break these type of issues down. But yeah, it, it is definitely um, an act of terrorism. And it, to me, it's an act of racism, too. And I would agree with Ms. McNeil. And you're going to have to really school him. You love this man. We are all for love. You know, we love love. But you're going to have to really school him. It's going to take something really to hit home for him to get it. And, you know, like Miss McNeil said, you know, go visit some African-American museums, get you some movies uh, that deal with African-American history, like really ingrain in him uh, all that black people have gone through and why it's not just like, the trend to do to be a Black Lives Matter protester. It is the thing we do to make sure we are heard and to make sure that people understand, although we've come a long way, people are still treating us as if we don't matter. And that's why we are peacefully protesting. We're not smashing guards in in doorways. We're not breaking out windows and sitting in offices with our feet up. We're not planting bombs in the RNC. We're not doing any of those things. And those things, and maybe your husband doesn't know that those are the things that's been done. I mean, even when I was getting off of work, I was talking to Donine about bits and pieces of what's going on. And she said, Nicole, have you been in a box? Like, these people have been doing X, Y, and Z while you've been at work. And I didn't even realize the extent of what had been done until I got home and literally really watched it and went through it. And so maybe her husband didn't understand everything that had been done because she was just coming home. Maybe he was just coming home and didn't see everything yet. That's a possibility, Nicole, but I I would like to... <sighs> I'm trying I, to give him the benefit of the I was about to I'm say, I'm, I was about to say, but like, sis, if you are want to stick with this man, then like Nicole said, we love love. But I, I have a hard time with this. I mean, I actually saw on social media, this couple who appears to be what this, this couple of our friend of the pod might look like. And it was an African-American woman with her, Caucasian husband and their African-American son and they showed pictures of him going you know as one of these riders so it it's it's hard I mean there might be a place where the rubber has to meet the road and you have to determine whether your your political and civil rights are more important than your love I mean you know I feel like you can't help who you fall in love with but who you sure can't help who you stay with I tell you that much <laughs> I agree on that one, definitely. Okay, so I have a another letter that we'll go through really quickly. It says, hello, ladies. I'm an MPD in the 7th Police District of Washington, D.C. As a Black woman, I'm deeply disturbed by the recent events at the Capitol. I'm tired of talking about it, though. It's extremely triggering, especially when my white coworkers ask me how I'm feeling. Most times I want to ask them how they feel, how would they feel, but for the most part, I just stay silent. Okay, so let me get to it. I'm writing you because the inauguration is an all-hands-on-deck situation, but honestly, after what happened at the Capitol, I don't want to be in the city, let alone working 
during the inauguration. I do enjoy my job 99% of the time. I love the community in which I work. I love the people that I get to meet on a daily basis. But this inauguration day is making me feel really uneasy. What should I do? How would you suggest I handle this situation? And is there any way I can get out of this with respect? That's a hard one. And I'm glad we have Audrey on to break that down. But I will say, um, yeah, I'm afraid about, I'm afraid too. I think that, uh, yeah, I think that it is going to be a second riot. Um, I am afraid for what will happen at the inauguration. I am hoping they have a whole bunch of bulletproof, you know, stuff. I hate to say that, but I, I fear for Biden and Kamala. I, I really do, especially after seeing everything that happened this past week and seeing how leadership did not step up. I know that right now there's some talk about impeachment of Trump, right? A quick impeachment of Trump. The Democrats are trying to bring these articles of impeachment up for the second time. And I'm not really sure how that's going to work because um, I don't think that, I mean, I think the House, will, it'll get through the House, but then what happens, right? I know it can go over to the other administration. And of course, the hope is that, hey, if he gets impeached, he won't be able to run in 2024, which he said he's going to do. Um, but I don't know how feasible uh, it is that that actually is going to happen. But even if he doesn't get impeached, right, even if there's nothing that happens, he's going to be in leadership. And is he going to be the, the person that make sure that extra help is not there. I mean, that just because it to me, although the police chief was the person that is taking the blame, to me, it had to go higher than him. I don't know how much higher than him it went, but to me, those still higher ups could also some kind of way make sure that there's not enough protection at that inauguration. So for this friend of the podcast who happens to be um, an officer, I don't know. For me, I, I might have to try to stand clear. This this may be my time to take vacation. I would say not for me. I was sitting on the edge of my seat. Uh, just to, I'm a native Washingtonian. She's in a police district. The seventh district is predominantly the last part of D.C. predominantly black. So it's interesting there. As time has gone on, there are more white officers who appear from. I remember they were coming more into the, uh, they bring more into the department. So you're a black female in a predominantly black district working with white officers. Now, you took an oath. I can imagine I would feel the same way, but I'm remembering why I'm there. And I'm knowing for certain that you cannot let these individuals silence your voice. That's the first thing. When you do that, you become a victim. And you're not a victim. You're a victor by the mere fact that you patrol in one of the, the pretty dangerous districts. I'm not saying that this disclaimer, not because it's all black, because it is high crime there, but it doesn't have to be because it's all black. My point is, not only that, you cannot let them silence you. There's ways of dealing with those individuals. Of course, um, you know, one of the steps you can take seriously is that you can report them. Or on your own, because I've been in your shoes, you step up and let them know that you are not the one to be messed with where someone's asking or trying to patronize you, you have to hit these individuals with facts and you have to let them know that uh, I'm a highly intelligent woman. I don't stand, I don't uh, suffer foolishness well. Secondly, you're there because you persist. You are a role model 
to young folk in that area. Man, it may not always feel that way, but you are. When you come on a scene and the scene, you had several white officers there and you roll up there, they're looking at you thinking perhaps that you can present an argument that they don't understand the cultural nuances that just took place and have ratcheted up to something else. You can be that one to say, as we all black officers know, whether in the FBI, as an investigator, agent, or as a police officer, hold on a minute. Let, let me talk to you the uh, complainants right now. I hear what you guys are saying. So never forget the fact that you can never allow as a woman, a black woman and law enforcement for your voice to be silent. And I always say that means for, for you to be heard and seen. None of this chicken necking and curse, you know, we can get real silly <laughs> sometimes, mm-hmm. but you want to be seen as my mother always would tell me and heard. So Audrey, with this inauguration, do you think that it's the second coming of the riot? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, that they're, even if it, yes, I'll put it that way because I'm, you know, reading, uh, across all kinds of, uh, media, you know, publications, what have you, where they're talking about this is likely going to be a second one because these folks didn't accomplish what they had hoped to. And they certainly, and remember, the whole thing was not just to stop the count, but to prevent the peaceful transfer of power that's occurred hundreds of years in our country. That's true. So they didn't accomplish this goal. So now this is going to be, you know, this is a big thing. Now we're going to disrupt the, um, the inauguration. I've heard the date tossed around January 17th. This morning, I've heard the 20th, which would overload. If that is the case, preparation has to be prepared and everybody has to be, it's an all hands on deck situation. So I, I, I hear her what she's saying, but I also sense that the fact that you are being silent allows you to feel powerless because you have a voice. You are a role model out there. You're representing us where a lot of times we're not there. You know, sometimes some of these situations could have been, you know, diffused if we had folk who understood some of the cultural nuances. And you're that person, like I was many times. And I'll tell you about a quick story so I don't dominate much. But as a supervisor, I had a subordinate, a white subordinate male, come and tell me about some reading he was doing um, from this Civil War revisionist history person. And he tells me, hey, did you know slaves? Um, you guys, of course, they have to do it with an audience because it has to embarrass you. So he says, hey, did you know slaves were on fought for the uh, Confederacy? And I stood there and I said, okay, I can handle it several ways, you know, but I'm going to remember what my mother said. What is taking it high? I want to be seen and heard. And I said, of course they did. They were uh, dragged or at the the request made to by their their masters. Why do you think they could kill the uh, whites who fought for the Confederacy while black cooks build the bridges and all? And think about the history where uh, whites were, blacks decided they would fight for the union. I say, so what you're saying is you're making it sound like these people would raise their hand to say brutalized, traumatized, and slavery. No, they were made to go with the, their masters. And at all, after I said that, the crew that was sitting there waiting for it, like, oh, you know, sometimes going back to that first letter, you got to take people to history. You got to show them the facts. In this case, you use your voice to educate and to stand up and know that you have a right to be there 
yes, the inauguration may be iffy or that they're predicting it's likely going to be something that's going to kick off. But you took an oath. And if everybody there on the department decided they're not going to show up, then we got made the problem. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely right. That would be bad. I mean, I definitely understand why she's like, "Mm, I might have to take vacation. I understand that. But um, and I think it's going to be with a whole bunch of people that don't look like her rioting. Um, She may not have the same blue lives matter support from these right wing people. Um, I get it. But also get your um, your stance that she did take an oath. And this is her job. Just be safe, sis, if you're going to go to work that day. But my question is, what would, first of all, the 7th District, is that Southeast? Yeah. Okay. So my my question is, and I'm and this is just because I'm unfamiliar with, um, you know, the, the Metropolitan Police Department, but what is it potentially that she could be doing on Inauguration Day? Like, while I do know that Pennsylvania Avenue will, you know, runs through Southeast, like how involved could she potentially be with the inauguration or the events of the inauguration? Or is this just her being preemptive because D.C. it might just end up being a, a disaster on Inauguration Day? Well, what she could be, she could be part of um, uh, where they're commanding the civil disturbance unit, where you're commanding people to all go to um, downtown. They have a staging area and where you have your right gear on, your uh, formation line, which is shield. Or she could be um, still left at the, at the uh, district to patrol, and they just have a, a limited number of people patrolling. She could be one of those individuals. So it, it runs the gamut. But one thing for certain and for sure is that she will work long hours. She's going to be right there in the face of some of those individuals, as I talked about, because that's a huge issue, who uh, sympathize, who also support supporters of that Trump madness. You know, I, I get it and I don't want to seem hard as nails, but I do go back to the fact that it troubles me when sisters who are in law enforcement sometimes feel the best way to be is silent. Yes, silent is a weapon, but there are times when you have to raise up and you have to speak up. And I, I remember my husband, because I was kind of that way in, in many, 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 many years ago. And um, and wouldn't say anything about anything I really accomplished or whatever, because I'm, I'm not a braggart. But there were times when my husband would tell me, you have to raise up and you've got to be arrogant sometimes and let white folks know where you're coming from. Say that again. Like He's like, you know, you have to. And he, we're, we're like yin and yang. He's from the South. I'm from the city. Um and so I, I, I took that advice to heart and it never failed me. Well, thank you, Audrey. Nicole, you want to go to learn something new? Johnny, what did you learn new this week? Okay, so this isn't really a learn new, but part of it is. So um, the Insurrection Act, I'm just going to tell you exactly what it is. So the Insurrection Act gives a U.S. president the authority to deploy active duty military to maintain or restore peace in times of crisis. This act was signed in 1807 by Thomas Jefferson to foil a plot by Aaron Burr after he had um, killed Alexander Hamilton. So. 
what I did learn was the Insurrection Act was invoked during the civil rights um, era by Eisenhower and Kennedy um, for their desegregation efforts. The Insurrection Act was also invoked in 1992 by George H.W. Bush, which is Daddy Bush, to um, thwart the riots that were happening after the, the Rodney King incident. Also, the Insurrection Act was invoked in 2005 by George W. Bush, which was son Bush, for Hurricane Katrina. And then last year, during the peaceful Black Lives Matter protests, Trump threatened to invoke the Insurrection Act to keep the protest in order. But the interesting portion that I learned was that there was no mention of the Insurrection Act on January the 6th when an actual insurrection took place. I love you gave us some little history facts on your research. Love it. Well, my learn something new has nothing to do with uh, the research or the insurrection, but it basically is about taking over and the takeover and taking over your life. And you know that I've been doing these daily exercises on the Peloton and um, Peloton wants you to take over your own life. And they partnered with Shonda Rhimes and they have the year of yes. So there's a 2021 year of yes to allow you to take control of your own life. Love it. The motivational moment for the week is by Zora Neale Hurston. She says, if you're silent about your pain, they'll kill you and say you enjoyed it. Hmm. So stand in your truth, ladies. Don't be afraid to be seen and be heard, as Miss McNeil says. And be the amazing person that you are. Until we meet again. Pray, work, slay. And show off your melanated excellence. Bye. Oh, That's Deep Black Women Conversations is produced by Nicole Lee Plenty and Janine Brunson Johnson. Executive producer, Ken Johnson. Get the Oh, That's Deep Black Women Conversation podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or where you get your podcasts. Please subscribe and rate us. You can follow Oh, That's Deep Black Women Conversations on IG at Oh, That's Deep BWC. Oh, That's Deep Black Women Conversations is a mean old lion media production. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.